0: Listening to Inclusive AF with Jackie Clayton and Katie Van Horn. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Inclusive AF podcast. This is Jackie Clayton. And this is Katie Van Horn. Welcome. Good
1: morning, good evening, good night. Did you can notice how
0: I said my name like a question? This um, is Jackie Clayton, kind
1: of. Maybe. This is Jackie Clayton. <laughs> It's early in the morning. We're not really sure. So it's hard to say what our names are.
0: (laughs) What we do know is we will have uh, job security forever because. (laughs) (laughs) Was that a good segue into the topic? It sure is. We're going to be talking about why diversity programs fail. And in fairness, There is there's success in different areas, but there are definitely some pieces that need a lot more work than others. Absolutely. So, you know, I think
1: you're spot on. There is such a need for um, for these programs, but it's I I always am interested when I'm speaking to folks and it's well, I'm still trying to justify for my CEO or my whoever in the C-suite that we need to do this work. And after I pull all my hair out, I then respond to them and say, you know, there's so many reasons why, but the fact that you're even having to have the discussion with someone at a CEO level of why this is important,
0: that's not that's not a great place to start. Not a great place to start. And I think that has been with my role for those who uh, don't know I am diversity in inclusion and equity, which is not the way I'm supposed to say it. Um, strategist that seek out. She's and, a die strategist. And the, that's what TJ told me to say it. No, <laughs> the diversity in equity and inclusion, not the die strategist. Um, one of the things we talked about was how. It's really nice that the clients that I work with, I I, none of them, I have to explain why it's important. They've already deemed that it's important in some way so much that they're willing to invest and they would like additional training on how they can move forward. Um, But I think I think we bring an interesting perspective because I primarily work with um, talent acquisition, HR in my group, and I, I feel like a lot of who you work with are in that piece, but also at more of an executive level. Am I wrong in that? I always think of that that's no, what I tell I, my friends anyway.
1: Yeah, I know. I think you're spot on. And, you know, I, as you said, you know, this topic could be, you know, why diversity and inclusion programs fail. But I think really it's more talking about kind of the here are the things that can happen, the the landmines that you should be aware of as you're doing this work. And so, yeah, as I'm talking to executives, as I'm talking to the head of HR, whoever it might be, talking to them about, you know, what should we do and how should we do it and, you know, what's the process. And there's so many things that can go wrong anytime you're implementing any new program. But the, the biggest one and, and one that I think we talk about quite a bit in this space and, you know, you and I are in industry groups together and, and it is that the first piece is really that budget. Are folks actually going to put a budget against this or are they going to make it the work of folks that are from underrepresented groups? Because that's often where the work falls to say you need to do this work as part of your day job or on top of your day job, um, which is not fair in any way, shape or form. And oh. so the the first piece and and this isn't a sales pitch, to be clear, but having a budget and having someone dedicated or a group or team dedicated to doing this work is so critical to actually being successful. And I think that's one that this kind of goes to what we had talked about earlier of, um, and I mean, earlier, as in, before we started recording, Jackie and I were just talking about kind of like, where should this work report to? And, and so I think that's just another piece to it. But when you think about kind of from a recruiting perspective, What are the things that kind of go wrong in regards to diversity or hiring? Not not even calling it diversity, hiring, hiring from underrepresented or historically marginalized groups,
0: I think they um, the biggest piece is that um, without looking at not just the culture of the organization, how we got to where we are today, but the subcultures within the organizations are important and having a blanket strategy that is supposed to um, lay on top of all of those various groups. Like I, I always feel like it reminds me of like Zumba class where The teachers like your leg needs to be higher. And there's somebody in the front who's barely moving their leg. And then there's someone in the back whose leg is like behind their head. Like, I can't move any, you know, any higher. And you have this blanket standpoint. And then there's the people in the middle, like, I don't know what you're talking about, Um, for example, they'll say, oh, well, we made uh, the decision to hire more women in our organization. And then you look at. Um, Your marketing department, your human resources department, your support function, and it's almost all women and they're missing the point of diversity. It's not understanding um, the point what it should look like. Um, And I think we've talked about it for so long in organizations people think they know what it means, but they aren't taking the time to find out what it means within their organization, breaking that down versus the different business groups in the organization and then having a strategy for each of those groups of how we're going to move forward. That sounded pretty deep. But yeah, no, I, I think that's
1: spot on because that's also a conversation with I have with like frontline leaders is look around the table of your team and who isn't there. So for a marketing leader, it might be actually we need to hire men. Or actually, we need to hire whatever. And and because, you know, as you just mentioned, like. H.R., marketing, sometimes accounting are dominated by women. And so it is that trade off. But then, you know, when you look at your engineering or your your product teams, things like that, it's usually very male dominated. And so how do you flip that and how do you start looking at that? Um, I, and I think that's. That is one just like it is the like know where you're at and kind of starting with that assessment piece of like where what's your baseline? What are the things that you're doing already? Where are you at today? Because I think companies are at different places. And to your point, it isn't just a one size fits all when it comes to diversity. You have to really start from where you are to move further. And the the kind of analogy that I give to folks, and this is for individuals and for teams, is when you're on a journey like, you know, picture a road that's a winding road up, you know, up a mountain and every one of the team members is going to be a different place in that journey up the mountain and every team is going to be in a different place. And so like thinking about that as you think about the journey and really this work, because there is no end. The work is really how do you move
0: further down the road or further up the hill? I I agree with you completely. And and I also think. The other piece is that um, we have to recognize the mental health aspect to this type of work because things get kicked up and it's always weird to me. um, And I, I still, even though I've been doing this for a while, get shocked when someone will want to tell me some story in regards to their journey of understanding diversity And you have to become a counselor and it has never not happened where somebody we're talking about hiring software engineers and then someone tells me like they went to an all black funeral once and they want to tell me how they understand what diversity is or, you know, they were in Hawaii and they felt so weird because they were all, you know, and it's like, thank you for for making me feel really uncomfortable on my side, because it's like, what are we talking about? We went from. Yeah doing the strategy work and then we had these other pieces. And so what it tells me is that we have to give people a place to start dealing with the unconscious bias, because through the whole recruiting process, it comes up. Um, I think there's a part that we need to let our candidates know and we have to I am am pretty pragmatic. I mean, a very emotional, pragmatic person, (laughs) if you can be both. Um, But it's like you're looking at it. We have a job that we have to do and we have to be able to get there. There's a place for everything. But it's also understanding if we're going to look at this as a job role and something that's important in order to make this work. What do our job descriptions look like and how do we communicate with people? Um, when I recruit diverse talent, I always tell them that I'm being hired to for reduce uh, to hire underrepresented people. And it's important for them to know. Um, and I lay it all out there. And most candidates say nobody's ever done that before. Like I'll be like, hey, this is a multi billion dollar corporation with 25 recruiters that's willing to pay me an additional, you know, fifty thousand dollars to find one person who looks like me. So what does that tell you about the organization? It should tell you they don't have the resources internally. This is something brand new. The layout, because, you know, no company wants to let go of their money. (laughs) And so letting the candidate know, what could potentially happen because we can have this revolving door as well, because we're not doing enough work internally within organizations to have the culture set in a timely manner. Um, I spoke to a a company that had lost uh, 61 black software engineers within the last two years. And most organizations haven't been able to find 61 black software engineers that they've been able to negotiate and hire into the organizations. And I was like, we shouldn't even talk about adding people to your team. Let's talk about who is leaving. What division were they working on? Who hasn't left? So we can try to figure out where we need where the problem actually is. OK, so you just said like a
1: bazillion things that I want to comment on, because I think it like all of it was good stuff. So thank you. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, let's break that down. Let's right. break that down uh, a <laughs> Um So the comment that you made about like people wanting to share their stories of their own diversity or their own experience around this topic. I, I think part of that is almost the you know, oh, well, I have a black friend or the oh, well, yeah, yeah it it is a confessional situation. But it's also uh, let me explain to you why I'm not a racist. Let me explain to you why I'm actually a really good person. And and I think part of this is also this fear of. The term racist is so charged and and when you think of racist, you immediately go to KKK burning uh, crosses like the worst possible scenario. You do, Katie. Let's let I be do. clear. <laughs> I beg your pardon. Sorry. I think that a lot of folks think that. And so yes. it, they the, to say I am a racist feels really uncomfortable. But I think I also can say because of the experiences, because of what I have gone through, because of how I was socialized from day one, you know, uh, you know, birth forward, do I have things in my mind that are racist? Absolutely. And so it is creating that awareness, creating those kind of counter measures to say, OK, the, the critical thinking and it's exactly what we're saying on bias. How do you think about your bias? Being aware of your bias is actually how you stop it. So when you start to go, oh, well, I believe this about this situation, then having that critical piece, critical thinking of why do I believe that? Is it true or is it something that I was socialized to believe? And so I think even just the term racist or bias, all of those things that people feel uncomfortable if they're described as having these tendencies or having these beliefs, it's like, okay, we need to understand that part of this is. Yes, you are. Yes, you do have bias. Yes, you are racist or have racist beliefs or have grown up socialized with racist beliefs. Maybe you've learned differently and hopefully you're growing and and questioning that. So there's that piece. Yeah. And then, you know, thinking about kind of the the tax, the the mental well-being of folks. You and I have talked about this. We've talked about this before on the podcast of folks in marginalized groups having to pick up the slack, having to do this work on top of their day job, having to have that kind of you know, mental tax, mental whatever the word is. Like, I think we've used a couple different words to describe this, but having to do the work and and then again, the white colleagues going, okay, that's cool. That's something you all have to deal with versus no, no. As white people, we have to deal with it and we have to make the changes. This should not be a person of color thing. This should be an everyone together. But mostly it needs to be white people going, what systems, what tools, what ways have we set this up? to advantage ourselves and keep others down. I
0: don't. And and it's funny because I don't even think. You know, you and I were in that uh, uh, meeting with a a particular client when they were talking about how, oh, I was taught to trust everybody. Remember, Mm -hmm. I was I was taught to trust everybody until they give me a reason not to. And I said I was raised to not trust anybody until they give me a reason to. Right. So we automatically would have a clash. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's understanding. People need to understand the, their, the system, how it is related to them. But they also have to understand that that does not make because I'm black, doesn't make me an expert on whatever Todd, say hi, um, on whatever uh, piece that you. For well, Those that are just listening right and
1: now. not watching, Todd just made a cameo appearance <laughs> on
0: screen. Sorry, and- edit. And so did the puppy. No, no and, edit <laughs> and the puppy. Um, but I think, you know, that's the part that's I, I have. I, I feel like we. that's why you need at least two diversity diversity people and people with different places, mm-hmm. because if I'm having to counsel all of these people as we're going through the work, we're never going to get everything done. And mm. I generally like when you have self-work, self-awareness, this is what we're this is where, you know, it's like a knowledge base. If this is what you're feeling, these are some things that you can ha- that can help you or some topics you might want to bring up with, you know, insert social worker, your <laughs> name therapist, here. your yes. therapist. That you have to work through. <laughs> yes. um, and and also it's also why you need professional people to be able to do this work, um, mm-hmm. even with I think it's funny that people will just because, oh, you're black. You must know what it's like for all black people and can and all white people. And you can counsel me on how I'm supposed to act. And we all are 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 products of our multiple experiences. Um, Mm -hmm. And so whatever you're dealing with, people are dealing with has to do with all a lot of stuff that doesn't have to do with the four walls that you're working in. And I think that can get in the way because we'd rather just shut the door on it. I mean, I think it's it's, it's more it's easier for me to get through the day if I could just ignore it.
1: So, yes, and I again, this is kind of another piece of the how Why do diversity programs fail? And it is there has to be that first person there has to be that first diverse that first underrepresented person and and you have to be extremely careful about how that person is onboarded is taken care of is kept safe because to your point they can become tokenized right off the bat and can be made into the oh well can you tell us for all black women what is the experience like for x
0: hi
1: I'll also be sharing business bites with you—simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to. Can I offer you some feedback on your favorite podcast app, or learn more at
0: EvergreenPodcasts.com?
1: And and that obviously a is a completely unreasonable question, but also is. Well, it's not very smart. <laughs> like, like, I can't speak for every white woman in the world. I don't want to right now because that 55 percent. But also, <laughs> yeah, that that but also like it doesn't it, that's not a sensible question. And so I think that, you know, protecting that first or that only until you do grow and, and continue to recruit. But but then it's also to your point on the why did 61 people leave? This is where I mean, I know we always come back to that inclusion piece. It's kind of the you have to clean up your house before you start inviting guests over. And this is the you know, if you have an environment where a person of color, a you know, any type of marginalized person is going to come into the organization and feel tokenized or feel like, wow, I'm the only person here and this is really awkward. How do you help them through that until you can get more? But then also, what are you doing? What are the things you're setting up? Because this is the other thing that happens. And this one sends me straight over the edge is the well? we tried diversity and it didn't work. And that's where yes. you go into. And that's you know the excuse of, oh, we hired a woman into management and she didn't work or she left. So we should just stop trying to do that or we hired a, a black person or uh, whatever. Uh, fill in the blank of whatever you know group they want to discuss. And then it's like, OK, well, one person, again, does not represent everyone. But what have you done to clean up your house to make sure that when you do hire anyone, period, like it doesn't matter what their identity is, how are you making them and their experience great so that they can be successful? How are you setting them up for success versus hey, I brought in this person that's from an underrepresented group. Let's see how they do. And, you know, and not really giving them the resources or the support that they need. And even more so in today's environment, the support of people working from home, of onboarding folks, of making sure that you are thinking about the things that are going on outside of, as you said, those four walls and how that might impact that person day to day like we have to be doing that as an organization to actually make sure that it is successful.
0: Well, you bring up another point of why they fail. It's because they are what I think maybe we as um DEI pros have forgotten to tell people is that it's not going to be pretty and it's not a kumbaya moment. It the anticipation is that there will be conflict and out of that conflict will be the innovation and the realization before you get that Kumbaya moment. It's like I don't know if you've ever been on a board of directors and you have your board retreat where you have your annual planning of what we're going to do. And everyone starts out nice and you share stories about families in your favorite book. And then you start talking about, OK, how are we going to save the world? And everybody has a different a, a, opinion and then you want to kill each other and then at the end you're like <laughs> hugging and crying because this was so great. Um It's like that within the organizations. And it takes it takes generally at least a year of conflict, of safe conflict like I'm I'm going to allow you to speak your mind and we're going to work on those things without any knee jerk reactions until we can work through it Mm -hmm. in order to see the success. Um, I think it's funny for like, I will follow Katie into a desert without a canteen. I will also follow her straight out of the desert <laughs> with a gallon of water. I will I because we're close. And part of that is because we do have that same belief system. And so I, I think we forget that within these organizations it is. I bring that up to say, like, the reason that we have people that are different is so that we don't have just blind followers in one way or a, another. That's what gets in the way of innovation. It's the fact that nobody has said, Hey, that's kind of racist. You put girls and men in your software code and there's no women available. That's kind of sexist because there wasn't a woman on the team to say anything. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's the mutual admiration society that actually halts innovation. I I firmly believe that the reason that we have the electric light is because someone got sick of sitting in the dark and made mention of it. It was like, if you don't go figure out a way that I can, you know, cook dinner and when the sun goes down, I'm out. Right. And so somebody had to figure it out. So within these organizations, it's like we need to figure out a way to get this done. We have to figure out a way to get along. We have to figure out how we can build this. And it's a microcosm of the of the world we live in, that's why diversity works. You know, a diamond, you have to have pressure on that lump of coal. And it's not fun for the piece of coal. But that diamond sure is pretty, if that makes a lot, if that makes sense. And so we tell people it's better, you're going to grow, you're going to have all these things. But we don't coach our hiring managers, um, our leaders about how to deal with the conflict that will arise it will arise because now you have somebody who is not necessarily like you that's coming in and finding finding conflict that you didn't want to hear because you you hired people that were like you in the first place
1: agreed and i think um, you're making me think of a couple different situations that i've been in I, you know the first one being just the i i I am always I kind of chuckle and not in a good way, but kind of chuckle when I have leaders like, my whole team is upset, and you know, oh my gosh, I can't believe, you know, they're, you know, they feel like this, this, or this going through these processes. You know, when we go through the strategy implementation of how do you become more inclusive? How do you become more diverse? How do you create these systems of equity? There is pain. And and when the leaders get to that point and they start to hear stuff from their employees. A lot of times they're like, "We need to stop this. We need to slow down. We can't do this," and it, it, it's it's the don't worry, like this is part of the process. You know, That's like right. in order to grow, there has to be some pain. You know, when you were little and your your bones would hurt, and you know your parents would say, "Hey, you're going through a growth spurt." It's that similar situation where you are going to have places within this conversation that um, <laughs> Todd is Todd. Todd is in the kitchen Todd's in the kitchen. It's good. Um, But you're going to have places of discomfort as you grow, as you continue to build out these cultures that you want to have. But it's not always fun, you know, telling someone, hey, you have bias. If they don't believe that they have bias, telling someone that your beliefs are wrong, you have to change your behavior, that doesn't feel great. But I also would say, Jackie, I will never take you into the desert without having water. I will always make sure that
0: you have water when you come to Arizona's Aww, desert. I'm just and letting that you my know. friend is allyship and a, <laughs> and a <different laughs> very good allyship. I will not let you
1: die of dehydration in Arizona um, because it's, it's the whole you know, you can't go, OK, hey, you did this bias training and now you're cured. It's that whole concept. No. of your bias is there, ingrained in you since birth. It doesn't just you. You go to a two-hour class with the amazing Katie Van Horn, and now you're cured. That's not. I would love that to be the case. I would love I it could. if it was
0: a six-hour class. If it was a six-month class. Well, that's that. But it doesn't work that way.
1: No, but that's. But it is a to your point on the six months. It is a long, drawn-out process of being aware of your bias and and again, checking yourself when you're driving in your car and someone cuts you off and you start you know naming all the reasons why that person who's a woman, who's a whatever, is uh, the worst driver ever. And all of the things
0: that go through your mind, that's your bias. Yes. And that's the part that people don't get, like your unconscious bias, you're like, oh, I don't like this, this and this. No, the fact that you said that, that means it's conscious. It will not come out until the situation came out. Like, Mm -hmm. I always talk about the fish in the microwave never came out. Nobody talked about all of the things that that went along with that. For those of you who haven't heard the story, it was about an organization that said made a rule that you couldn't cook fish in the microwave without recognizing that they just like totally took away this whole person's culture and basically made it a very uncomfortable environment to work in for everyone. Um, And we also couldn't bring McDonald's french fries in either, which whatever um, that seems sacrilegious. That does not seem well, like because bias. it was like, well. It's well, another day. Trust yeah, me, just- trust me. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the thing is, is that we we I was sitting on a board. Let me tell you a story about this. This cracked me up. Let me tell you a story. So I was on a board. I was the only black woman on a board. The woman was full of women. Um, and someone said, I don't see color and I and because, you know, I'm subtle and shy and don't like speaking up. I was like, hey, 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 hey. Since you don't see color, it's really important for me to tell you something. I'm black. And if you need to write it down so you could acknowledge that and then go ahead and do that, right? Flash forward, I apparently put it on Facebook like if one more person tells me they don't see color and dot, 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 fill in the blank. But I never gave it any thought. It was almost a year to the day. Where she said to me, I understand what you were saying. And I apologize. We're still not friends. We were Mm -hmm. able to work together. We weren't friends, but that was something that I said. And I say a lot when people say I don't see color had no idea that 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 bothered her and stuck with her. She had to do her own internal work for a full year, Katie. And I, you know me, I didn't give her any other thought after I was like, well, she's not on my (laughs) Christmas card list. Then I just did not She was not in my head. But it took a year of her doing her own self work, not just going through life to be able to get to the point where now she's able where, you know, you have to have that piece together before you can even start the work. That was at a nonprofit organization. Now, imagine that in a corporate environment when you're teaching your um, these are the biases or things that you have to look at and you're doing it to 200 people, Mm -hmm. 300 people, 10,000 people, freaking Starbucks employees. They have to go through all their own work. And if they are in a positions of power, which power, which we know, Uh, the scales are tipped Mm. and you're making me feel uncomfortable. You're asking me to willingly sit in an uncomfortable place. It is a lot easier to say we're not doing this anymore. We're firing all these people Whereas you're, you know, in, in order to get to move forward. So from from the HR perspective, from a recruiting perspective in particular, you have to understand that you're dealing with throwing somebody's power off a little bit, taking away their power to feel like they can make their own decisions, asking them to be uncomfortable while still managing the organization. And it doesn't matter. It can be male, female, black, white, you know, people who are are disabled are always we are are pain averse. As people, that's Mm -hmm. why we have to have I mean, have you ever thought about how people make their life on change management? And at one point I was like, is it really change management? And they're like, yeah, that's your whole job is trying to make people change. You can make mm-hmm. a career out of it. And the change is going to like a different staple, staple right. company. Right, I so
1: it's funny because the way I think about this sometimes or try to describe this, especially for like engineering teams, um, if you have been in an environment where you develop products, um, there are different methodologies to developing products. One is the waterfall method where team one does their activity, then team two, then team three. And you know, so it waterfalls down. There's also the agile methodology with a lot of folks know about, have butchered. I'll probably butcher some of the <laughs> concepts when I'm talking about it right now. But go with me on this real quick. So in agile method, the leader of the team, so the person with the title on the team doesn't have that power title anymore or have that power anymore. They have the title, but maybe not the power. And it's such an interesting thing to watch agile teams develop and mostly because you have the leader going, I don't know what I'm supposed to do anymore right. if I'm not the leader of this team, if there's a Scrum Master, if there's a whatever, where do I fit into this? How am I the person in power? And And, and they're not. And so it's helping them through that. And so that's why when I think about like innovation and teams, once you have that diverse group around the table, how do you make sure that you can have that change management conversation? You can have those conflicts that come up that lead to better innovation and better product and better whatever. That's the other piece that we need to teach leaders. So it's how to be inclusive, how to make sure that they're including everyone in the conversation, but also not going with the this is the way we've always done it, not going with the let's have a brainstorming session, but only certain people are allowed to have ideas there. There's a lot of different pieces where it's the step back to step forward. And I always think about a diverse team, like starting with a brainstorming session because of the fact that that's where you you start to have people. A, you start to see the power dynamics where you know, whoever was the smartest in the room or thought that they were the smartest in the room maybe isn't anymore or is being pushed in a different direction. Someone who's used to knowing or having the answer or being the one that everyone listens to when you have different folks in there with different perspectives that are going, well, no, maybe not. Have you thought about it this way? Have you thought about it that way? That's when you get to the better thing, the better brainstorm idea that you actually have been you know, end up going with and implementing. But that work to get there, like you have to teach your team how to do that. And that's why I always talk about like team agreements. How do you have inclusive team meetings? How do you make sure that your team is in agreement on how they will work together? And and it kind of goes back to what you're sharing of like, how do you just make sure that you can do the best work? You can be inclusive. You can have everyone feel like they have a voice, all of those things. Because, again, if you don't have that, then you lean on the excuse of, well, we tried that and it didn't work, so now we're just not going to do it anymore. And I've also seen this other phenomenon where it's the kind of the Hail Mary diversity. And what I mean by that is you have a a, I'm going to use product as the example. Again, you have a product, a project, whatever it is, and no one has been able to solve it. No one has been able to make it work. And then you hire someone diverse as a Hail Mary to go. Mm-hmm. Oh, so and so they should be able to fix this and and we'll give them this chance to fix this. And then when they don't and they and like every other person behind them has not been successful in it, but because they are diverse, then the answer is, oh, well, we tried diversity and it didn't work, which is. Excuse my French, asinine. <laughs>
0: Is that French? I think it's How a CNA in <laughs> Yeah,
1: I was going to say a <laughs> CNA.
0: But, yeah. you know, it's funny, I think. And just to bring, because we are inclusive AF, there's also a certain part that has to deal with the age and groups of your team as well of where you where you are and what your willingness to mold and change. There's definitely something that happened to me personally. once I got past 40 of my flexibility and, and in general, I'll just be like. I, I'm OK with that sounds about right, like, OK, we'll go and do that because of not having to deal with all the other things. There's a point where it's like, OK, this is what we're supposed to do. I trust you we're going to just do it, whereas you'll see some generations that are like, I want to work this whole thing out in my head so that I feel comfortable. I'm not you saying it is not enough for me to feel comfortable. And I think another reason why diversity programs don't work is because, you know, it could be your head. I've noticed in organizations, the head president, CEO, board chair, whatever it is, generally had some work. Most of them have either have been thinking about doing this for a time and the money's right, the timing is right in order to start a diversity program or they went to some weird retreat and they came back and now they want to change the world in either case, they've had some kind of moment that's caused them to drive the change that nobody else in the organization was a part of. You know, Mm -hmm. you'll hear people talk about speaking to their spouse that pushed them in a certain direction. And so now they're going to implement this into their companies and. It's like, well, what we are now trying to reach this abstract goal of what you have determined diversity should be. And then everybody individually looks at what they think diversity is. I mean, I talked to a client last week and I asked them to define diversity. And some people, you know, you've heard people, the myriad of definitions. And for the first time, the client said, Black people, because when we told them diversity, they thought it was women. And now we're at like a 52 48 split, but we don't have any Black people. So I'm not going to tell you that we need to work on hiring diverse. I'm going to tell you, we need more black people in our organization. Period. And it was like. Now there's like a whole different set of questions and issues like this was the moment. And and what does that look like and what is the outcome going to look like? Because now I was like, OK, you can't just hire black people. So can you get more specific? It's breaking it down. It's one of those things where And we're within programs for diversity. You have to slow down before you speed up. You have to have to have to. And. You know, the the other part that I think a lot of organizations, if they are allowing you to do a holistic approach, they don't want to do is and tell me if you disagree, but a lot of organizations when I did it, not from just the recruiting standpoint, but it was more of an organization help with diversity. The first thing I did mentally was write up a fire and um, stay in, in concern group. Like that's I mean, literally, you can say you need to fire these people. These are where your gaps are. These people are on the fence that can have training. And these are your champions before we even have a meeting. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't do that, we will never be successful. I know that he's your head salesperson and brought three million in last last year. He's also sexist and racist and you will never have diversity. If he's going to be a part of the organization, it will never work. And you just want to slam the door and walk away because they'll say, oh, but, but it's about the money. Then it's not about diversity and you need to be able to move on. Mm-hmm. and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts. And so you people don't want to see it, and, and then once they see it, if they still don't want to make change, like from that level. um, I I think it's a challenge, I think with diversity. What I've noticed is that there is your own personal trauma that you're bringing to the table and then you have your business initiatives and your business needs. And how are we going to do that? And then your organization and how it fits into the landscape within the various industries, it makes it it makes it tough. And so That's why you can't do it in a one hour training. At at best, the one hour training, someone goes, oh. Well, maybe I was racist. It's like when you drive a red car and then you go and you see all the red cars Um, and you'll have these moments where you have to look at yourself and your organization for who it is and then and then we all and then it kicks up all all the dust, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and people just don't know how to move forward and it brings up the conflict. That's that's the main reason is I feel is that people are not comfortable with getting uncomfortable and it gets really uncomfortable and ugly. Mm-hmm. Um, many of of you that have um I say many of you, I don't know who's listening. All of you, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Every last (laughs) one of you. There are definitely characters in in me and Katie's lives. Their names come up all the time. I talk about Todd all the time. But another person that's important in my life is um, Jeremy Roberts. who has been an ally for me for a very long time. And he's had some interesting life experiences that he brings to the table. And one of the ones that come up a lot is him talking about his family um, in Arkansas and like the trailer park and all these things. And as he he was studying in college, like peace studies and like traveled the world to help super marginalized groups that we can never even envision would have moments thinking back to, you know, uncle whatever at the kitchen table talking about a particular group and having to reconcile. But I love my uncle, but I'm pretty sure he was a racist. Or does that make me a racist? It's like people think racism is contagious. Um, And then and then bringing that to work, I feel must be the equivalency of me coming to work, being afraid of being angry, because if something happened in my life and being perceived as the angry angry Black woman, and it, and and I'm not, like being afraid of being completely transparent and feeling safe, I think happens. I can only imagine. I've never been white before, so I'm just making this up. But when you have that realization of, oh, that's not cool, and there's a lot of things in my life that aren't really cool, and I, I don't know how to bring it up and how it affects my decisions, I think happens. You're white, yeah. Katie. Tell, tell me about that. Well, the actually,
1: when you say that, like the the experience that I think about, and and it's one that is I I've actually talked about to a few folks recently, and the folks that were included in this meeting, um, I will not name names to protect the guilty. Good idea. Good Um,
0: idea.
1: (laughs) But in one of my prior roles, I was um, at a high level in HR, and um was like the number two HR person and was invited to a meeting with an outside vendor because we were doing our employee branding and like an, a refresh of the jobs page, et cetera. And so they brought me in because I knew the team, all of our employees extremely well, was very connected to the leadership, et cetera, et cetera. So as a thought leader, as a partner in this work, as a, what's the voice of the employee, I was brought into the conversation and the the group that was there asking questions two men and then the other two people in the room on our side of the table were uh, my chief people officer and someone from the recruiting team and the outside vendor asked a question i started answering it and was interrupted first by the chief people officer who said oh what katie means is blah 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 and I just looked at him and I let it go. Well, then second question comes up and started to talk again. Here's this and this, this, these are some things to think about, whatever. And then the recruiting person jumped in and said, Well, like what Katie's trying to say is, and and I said, Okay, guys, I said, So do you need me here or, or did you want to go ahead and speak for me? And the vendor got extremely uncomfortable. I'm sure the two of the the two gentlemen who were sitting <laughs> with me also got yeah sure. but it was one of those situations where, to your point, like do you sit there and and stay quiet because you don't want to come across as whatever and and have this impression of you of like, oh, that's the you know, bitchy Katie who's gonna, you know, be domineering or aggressive, because that's the one that people always like to use for women. And it was like that moment of this is not OK. And, and I actually know, especially sitting in a room where we're talking about the branding of our culture. Right. And I'm like, OK, well, you two, <laughs> you know, better and this is not OK. And so, you know, after the meeting, we all kind of huddled up and and I said, what was that like? What happened there? Because you guys know, I'm not going to let that slide. I will be giving you the side eye. Um, I'm watching, I'm always watching. And and they both like kind of, you know, did the yeah, oh wow, you know, we're sorry, we didn't even think about it. I'm like, no, I get it. I'm like, that's the kind of you're ingrained to be the okay, I'm gonna be the voice, I'm gonna tell you the things, but this is exactly what we're talking about. It's like, how do you make sure that marginalized people don't have something that is instilled upon them that is some age old belief, stereotype, whatever you want to call it. um, But also, how do you create these environments where you can get better answers, get better results by having all the voices in the room? So I want to talk about another one. And this is a good recruiting one, too, because I always like the good recruiting ones just to see if your head explodes. Um, (laughs) So the idea of a pre employment Test or a uh, like a hiring test, if you will. Mm-hmm. Tell me your thoughts, Jacqueline. <laughs> I think her head did not explode, however, I do see <laughs> I steam coming them. out of her ears. I hate,
0: that. I hate them, tears. <laughs> uh, well, um. I feel like there's so many things that are snapshots. I will tell you, I got a lesson in that I used to work for Robert Half. And I don't mind mentioning them by name because they're going nowhere. So I used to work there. um, And we used to do pre-hire assessments for job skills and It seems so I'm almost embarrassed, honestly, because it doesn't even make sense. Before they we even met with them, they would have to take these tests. We determined because we were experts what tests they needed based on the needs of our clients. And I remember giving a, a candidate, a potential candidate, these tests later, maybe six months, we talked about it. They're like, well, you never had me in the role that I initially applied for. Why are you coming back to me now? And I was like, well, the reason we didn't was because of the result of this particular test, um, but the scores on the other ones made it seem like this other job was a good job for you. And they had to do the tests in person. P.S. Um, so it turned out what I didn't know was that their grandmother had died that day they had gotten a ticket and were afraid that they were going to be late. Um, Still were able to get to the meeting on time, but were rushed through because we had like two computers and like 40 people coming in and that the tests were a reflection of where it was and they wanted an opportunity to take the test again. That was the last day that I ever thought anybody should ever have to take a test ever Mm -hmm. in life because it's a snapshot of where people are and their experiences. And what difference does it make if you're going to be training people in a certain style like you can't your p- companies are dynamic. They move, they change. And it's like, can this person we should we're not looking at the right thing. We should be looking for people who aren't the same. So we know we can push the needle and um I remember telling working with a client, they said, well, we want people just like our top people. And I was like, why wouldn't you want people better than your top people? Like if they're all the same, what could we add? You know, it's like, look, you don't have any people that have identified as trans on your team. What if somebody on your team was was trans and it pushed the needle and you increase the whole sales team by one percent? And they just looked at me like, can that happen? And I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Let's find out. Let's find out. So I hate (laughs) pre-employment testing. I don't like tests anyway. What do you think about tests? (laughs) Um, So I was
1: hired for a role and had to take what's called the Thurstone test. And
0: I've never heard of the Thurstone test.
1: Well, don't worry, it should be thrown out the window. Because as I was taking it as an HR person, I'm sitting there going, this is a very bizarre questionnaire. Because <laughs> it was things like, you know, how do you get a home run in baseball? How like just very it like almost like remember back in the day when Google had like the if you have a round um, manhole, what, how do you, you know, why should the manhole cover be round and like weird right. stuff like that? Yes, yes. So, like, it was those types of questions. And as I'm sitting there, I'm going, "Okay, yeah, no one outside of the U.S. could take this test because it wouldn't make any sense." What's like because all of the questions were so U.S. centric, but also it was one of those like, "Has this proven out?" And so, like, I think the other piece <laughs> with these tests is like to your point. Well, we want to hire people like. Our top performers. But there's also this piece where this testing comes in and they don't ever do a validation of the results. So they're just randomly have Never. people taking these tests and there's no tie back to how did they perform? How long did they stay with the organization? All of these things. And so it's such an arbitrary thing. And to your point, like, so you're like, okay, well, you had to get like a score of like, it was like a 50 point thing. So it's like you had to get like a forty seven or above or whatever. Um, I believe I got a forty nine to be clear because um, I'm fancy. Um. <laughs> I know how to get a home run in baseball. FYI, congrats, so these congrats. are the things
0: I know. Never played baseball do. a day in her life.
1: <laughs> yeah, to be able to do H.R., I needed to know the answer to that question. Um, anyhow, so it was one of those like I was sitting there, like taking this test, like this is just bizarre. And so then, you know, oh, yes, you did. You passed the test. Everything's great. You're going to be hired, yada, yada, yada. And I remember like a few years later, someone's like was asking about this test. And at that point, I was doing everything I could to like, let's not do that anymore. Why, don't, why do we need to do this? Why have we even validated these results? No, 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 no. None of these things have been proven out. And once we finally got rid of it, I went back and like looked at my test because I was like, it just was so <laughs> bananas like and no, (laughs) no rhyme or reason to the questions. So that's my other point. It's just like they have they actually validated the results. And I think in some circumstances, sure, maybe they have. But to your point, is your top employee truly the top that you can get? Is that really the best that you can do? And where is the bias in the test, meaning if I'm outside of the US, I mean, it'd be like someone asking me about cricket. I would have
0: no answers Nothing. to any of those questions. Not one. <laughs> not. One. I, I barely was able to do the f- baseball one. Um, no, like, I'm just <laughs> kidding, but you know what I'm saying. No, but um, you bring up there's a there's something to add to that, that because I'll let you in on a little secret. Tell me if you have a number. You one have sales. to say it quietly. <laughs> if you have a number one salesperson, <laughs> that's too. That's a little too quiet. That's too quiet. <laughs> if you have a number one salesperson that gets praise Mm -hmm. and reward for being that number one salesperson. You will never go past your number one salesperson, like not never. And your number two, if you don't treat them like you do, number one is out and will go be number one someplace else. You will never. This is the secret that they don't tell you. You really don't want people like your number one salesperson. You want the exact opposite in order to create that competitive environment to throw it completely on its head or else you won't grow. You just Mm -hmm. won't grow. And everybody will only go as high as that person. It it just is the way that 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 it it happens. And the people that are trying to compete with that number one person will not share the information because they feel like it's unsafe and maybe they're doing the wrong thing. So you'll never even be able to see how people grow um, to get up to that level or beyond. So I'm a so so to it's summarize. Chopstick drop. Yeah. Chopstick drop from Jackie. Throw out your
1: hiring test immediately. Thank you. Now. Yes. Um, <laughs> so those are some of the reasons. I mean, I think you and I could go on and on and on about all of sure. the other reasons. And I would love to. Um, I actually was taking notes this time, so I remember because what happens a lot when Jackie and I do these podcasts is that yeah. we'll come up with these great ideas of what we should talk about next. And then seven seconds goes by and we can't remember what the heck we needed to talk about. Um, that's part of our charm, folks. FYI. That's why um, <laughs> this is uh, the joy of Katie. My brain does not function well after seven seconds of space. Um,
0: so. Jackie, yes. Oh, this is the moment,
1: the moment that I want to know is okay. So uh, the topic was what why diversity programs fail. When you think about what you would tell a CEO tomorrow about what they should do to make sure that their diversity program does not fail. What is that one or first thing that you would tell them?
0: I would tell them that um, it's not failing you when you think it's failing, keep failing, fail faster, fail harder, <laughs> combust, and then you'll see the success of it. The failure is the growth. That's what I would tell them. It's just like when you're working out and you get cramps and you've tried to run a marathon and you're like, what am I doing? That is, is your growth, what you are, you have to reframe on what your success and failure looks like. And I recognize that when people are upset and they are are not sure what to do and they have all of these various feelings, give them the resources, but understand and make sure you understand within the diversity realm that that's that's going to happen. And that's actually a sign of success because your people are listening, paying attention, internalizing and actually thinking about the change that's necessary. Gosh, I should run for like mayor or something
1: for sure. Like legitimately, I think tomorrow we should go fill out a ballot or whatever. No, not a ballot. I don't know what you do.
0: <laughs> no election talk. That was last no week. election talk. Beg your pardon. Um,
1: for me, mine is to relate to them the idea of a product launch. When you're launching a product, you don't you you have a marketing budget, you have a plan, you have a strategy that go to market strategy, all of those things. And so thinking about diversity, equity and inclusion in terms of a product launch or you know relating the two of those that you have to put a budget behind it. You have to have a plan in place, you have to have steps because I think the other piece and I didn't mention this earlier but kind of goes with this of you know having that plan is also how much your employees can take at once. That's right. Cuz I think a lot of times we try to like throw all of the things at them and any human needs time, as you just said, like to process and to grow and to work through the emotions. So the the spacing of and the timing of how you work through some of this stuff is so critical. So make it like a product launch and make sure you're putting the time or creating a time spacing change management process and iterate and iterate. Oh, yes. Iterate, 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 for sure. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the Inclusive AF podcast. If you like this episode, please subscribe, give us a review. um, Tell us how much you love us on Twitter, um, all of those
0: things. What else should we ask them to do? Um, Tell your friends. Yes, share. Because we're getting a lot of people listening in and doing those things. And we want to know and and if we suck, we want to know that, too.
1: I mean, I don't want to know if, if I mean, to, like, subtly text me or DM me, please don't. do that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, yes, for sure. We want to hear how we're doing. And if there are topics that you want us to discuss, would love for for you to let us know. Um, and if you want to be a guest, reach out to us. Yes. Um,
0: what is our email address? It's info and inclusive AF. I should probably check it.
1: Well, yeah, so info inclusive at
0: inclusiveaf.com. AF AF. I think it's inclusive AF podcast. Don't give that. Okay. Cut all of that.
1: <laughs> we will we put will it on put, Twitter. <laughs> yeah, we will put in the show notes what our email address is, and we'll actually write it down so we can tell you the next time. So don't email anyone just yet. Uh, we'll get back <laughs> to you on that. Um, thanks so much for joining us. Um, I'm Katie Van Horn.
0: And I'm Jackie Clayton. Bye. Ciao. Ciao, Oh,